This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Well, hello and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul Wright. As you may have noticed, we had different intro music this week and it was by our special guest and it is called Walking Tree. A bit more of that in a moment. For a regular listener to these podcasts, you will know that for the past few months we have been asking for your suggestions on who we should have as guests and I'm delighted to give a huge Talking Flutes extra welcome to the popular guy and brilliant musician that is Philippe Barnes. In the unlikely event, and it is unlikely event, that you haven't heard of Philippe, he is one of the leading exponents of traditional music on a Bohem system flute. Yeah, you've heard that right. Traditional music on a Bohem system flute. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's one of these annoying people that will suddenly pick up a guitar and start playing that and playing that as beautifully as he does his flutes. And he doesn't just play one flute. He has a whole arsenal of flutes and loads of guitars. And he can probably play everything else as well. So he's just one of these really annoying people, but clever people. But the thing is, when you know Philippe, you actually can't dislike him because he's a seriously lovely chap. Specialises in Irish and Celtic music, but he also plays classical beautifully. In his wonderful book, Irish Music on the Silver Flute, Philippe breaks down his ornamentation methods and how best to put these into tunes to make your silver flute sound like the true traditional thing. Another book entitled A Selection of Modern Tunes in Old Styles, Part 1, I may add, is 42 original tunes composed by Philippe over the years. And we'll speak about this later because this is what he's been doing during the past 12 months lockdown – Add in the many flute and piano pieces that he's notated and 101 session tunes that he's written out, he has been a really busy Hector. So ladies and gentlemen of the Talking Flutes podcast verse, please welcome my old mucker, Philippe Barnes. Hello, my good man. How are you? Hi, JP. Not too bad. My head's just swelling during that intro. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, it, it, it seems weird since you were sort of walking around quite lost at NFA a few years ago, sort of uh, <laughs> wondering where to go and where to, what to do. And just in that yeah. space of two years, not although you've been known in the Celtic world and the Irish trad music world for a long time, but the flute world took a little while to catch on. But then when they did, they caught on in a very big way because your classes at NFA, are, they're packed out. Yeah, I was, uh, I was pretty terrified that first year. <laughs> <laughs> just turning up to to the states with a bag of my book that I just finished, and just not having a clue what to expect. Worried that I'd get to the workshop and there'd be like nobody there. First time walking into that main exhibition hall where there's a million people playing piccolos super high. And, <laughs> but it was great. Like been twice now, mm. and I was booked to play uh, last year, and that's been moved over to this year. I think this year's one's going to be an online. Yeah. 
after the workshop. But I think I'm a, definitely an NFA convert. Uh, sure, I'm definitely going to be uh, making the pilgrimage every year. I think the key is not to spend... I'm doing myself an injustice here because obviously I want people to spend ages in the exhibition hall. But you're exactly right. Everyone's playing super high on the piccolos and they're playing super loud on the flutes. I wouldn't say it's the most pleasant of sounds. (laughs) Well, it's, uh, I mean, you get used to it pretty quickly. It must be like living next to a train station. You know, as much as you can go to one of the flute stores at their kind of main location and try loads of stuff, you never get the opportunity to try as many different things in one place and, you know, see loads of the shops, loads of different kinds of flutes and different materials of flutes and try all the different head joints. And it's great that there is something like that for classical flute players because I've been thinking for a while about like, there isn't really that for wooden flute players. No. And it's a bit more of a mysterious art because a lot of the wooden flute players have like eight-year waiting lists, 10-year waiting lists. I just got mine after an eight-year wait for a keyed flute and I mean it's incredible and I'm, I'm glad I I ordered it I wish I'd ordered it when I was 18. <laughs> An eight-year wait now is that because they leave the wood for such a long time so you're buying the flute as they buy the wood? No it's purely because they're so popular and there's only so many they can make per year. Right now there's a lot more choice and you can get a really great flute with like a year's wait but depending on exactly what kind of thing you want like this I just may as well show yeah. you this one now while we're talking about it. So this is a Patrick Olwell flute. He's from Virginia and his son Aaron makes them too with him. I think both of his sons work. This one is cocos wood and silver. Um, you can see the lovely cocos flame on the back because it's really hard to get cocos that's just all the same colour. But I really love this kind of, he's made a, really made a feature of it. So if, um, if you're listening to this on audio, an audio podcast. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> what it is, is I can see a very dark brown or black main body, and there's two beautiful yellowy flames going through the main body. And Philip, he's, he's, he's now pointing in a good <laughs> sales way. There's a flame going through the main body on the underneath side, and on the head joint, there's a beautiful flame as well. And is that has that been carved into it or has that been placed no, in? No, this is it's the sapwood. So it's where the, the hard dense wood meets the sapwood. And normally wow. they'd be made to they'd want to get rid of all the sapwood. Mm. It's maybe more prone to cracking or kind of temperature changes. And I've already had a few of my friends take the Mickey say, No, you clearly got it done so it would match your highlights. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can see the, uh, that's actually a very good point. They do match your highlights, <laughs> doesn't it? And how, when you first, you got the head joint first, didn't you? Oh, um, I know, because we were talking about this yeah. earlier, and I said that the head joint is older than the rest of the flute. But what happened was um, Aaron had made this head joint for his own flute, played it for six months, and then he made himself a new one because he wanted something slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, but he sent me this head joint because um, he thought I'd like it and it matches the flame on the rest of the on the rest of the body I actually I had a keyless flute from them because you can order a keyless flute and it takes about 18 months mm-hmm. so you can get one whilst you're waiting for your keyed flute sadly that one was stolen about uh, a year ago but luckily I wasn't that far off getting the the real one so I, I got something else temporarily and actually Robert Biggio lent me a old Rudel flute from his collection very very kindly which uh, i think rin van horn now has it yeah so that was i had that for a while which is very nice one of the old 1800s cocos kind of rudel flutes but a rudel is much 
quite it's a very different kind yeah. of flute because this is a pratton so it's one piece middle body larger bore larger holes although the rudels are often like the sort of modern rudel copies are more similar to this as they're they're slightly larger holes and they're made a bit more for irish music but a lot of people like to play those old kind of 200 year old flutes this is a six keyed fully chromatic simple system flute and it's what people mean when they talk about an irish flute this or a um a root i don't have a rudel here otherwise I'd, I'd show you but usually the old rudels also have the low c sharp yeah. and c keys and they it's a really cool looking mechanism which usually doesn't work very well and it's kind of clanky when you're doing stuff but they look really nice they look really cool I actually made a oh, you probably can't see that very well in the glare if you're on youtube but it's like a it's a picture of a rural flute and I've used one of those fancy apps to make it look like there's a forest in, inside it because I'm an absolute sucker for uh, merch, as you probably saw when I was at the NFA trying to get merch off everyone. <laughs> we'll speak about merch later because um, and your <laughs> yeah. Patreon page. Now, a few days ago, you streamed. And what was really exciting is, and we'll speak, but we're going to hit this head on about the last 12 months and the crap yeah. that COVID not only has brought you as an individual and are suffering from it, but also the devastation it's brought to the creative arts and the inability of our government to even recognise that. But you streamed a live gig a few days ago, and oh, yeah. it, you know, it was quite exciting to see you in a hall yeah. setting up. Okay, you were quite a long way away from each other, but setting up for a live gig. Now, I can't believe yeah, I'm actually saying this 12 months later, a live gig. Yeah, it was just incredible to be back in that space i don't think any of us ever took it for granted before when you walk into a beautiful space like that this one was at king's place in london which has just a stunning concert hall the feeling of being in a space like that is, is like being in a church those spaces that have incredible acoustics and whether it's just that or whether it's that fantastic music has happened in there and people have been in there and it it feels like such a kind of vibrant exciting space it's yeah it's just so nice to be back in there and with a PA and with a sound technician and a lighting guy and you know after you know after a few months locked in the house I needed some uh, generous lighting shall we say <laughs> <laughs> what's weird is I don't think musicians will take take it for granted anymore as you say when you go into a space that space which is there to receive your music because for the yeah. past year, you've had your own home studio and you've had a microphone and you've had yeah. Zooms and you've had, you've lacked that space to perform. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's lovely speaking to someone else over Zoom and obviously it's still not the same as, as being in person, but at least with this, like I can see you react to what I'm saying, but we've did so many things where it was just us talking to the back of an iPhone and, you know, you finish playing a set and it's just deathly silence. <laughs> it reminded me a little bit of, you know, when, when I was a kid and I'd say to my mum, oh, listen to this new thing I've written. And she'd, be, she'd just be like, oh, very nice, dear. <laughs> <laughs> you got that as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like she'd heard me working on it for, for weeks. It wasn't like this was, a, this was something new. It's like, yeah, I heard it. It's, it's nice. I don't know what... I think the best com compliment she ever used to give me was, that sounds like a real piece of music. Oh, blimey. Well, if my mother had said that, that would have been akin to me being Tchaikovsky, I think. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I told you last time, 
and it just reminded me of this that because obviously I used to practice flute a lot in the house and one of the neighbors at some point said that they really enjoyed it they really they missed it when I didn't practice which felt it was nice but it also felt like they were judging me for not practicing <laughs> the neighbor whose garden backed onto ours was was less of a flute fan and at one point she called she found our phone number and called us up at like one o'clock in the morning and played the penny whistle jig recording down the phone because <laughs> 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 the flute was obviously really really annoying her but <laughs> i mean aside from the fact it was one in the morning it's not really a punishment Oh, crikey. Well, it's sort of opposite poles, aren't they, for neighbours? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're lucky that the flat we're in now is super soundproof, which is great because, you know, and now everybody's at home all the time. So it's not like I can pick a time when people are at work to do some practice. And um, I've been doing a lot of Irish pipes practice. Oh, good, great. Last year we moved back to London and I started depping on Come From Away in the West End. And it was uh, loads of whistles and Irish pipes. And I did Irish pipes at uni. So I did already play them, but I sold them sort of five years before I did the thing because I wasn't really using them. Um, so I needed to do a very quick, like, let's just get this back up to speed. Um, it's only 16 bars in the show, but I you know, didn't want to mess it up. So I was playing, you know, an hour or two every day. It did sound a little bit like a duck being strangled. <laughs> well, that was a very well paid 16 notes, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, there's other stuff in the show, yeah. like it's it's pipes and whistles and um, wooden flute and stuff. And I thought, I've got my whistle bag here, which I've mostly emptied. It was 16, 17 different whistles for the show. Oh, great. But, um, you can just see some of them. Um, so this is my, so these are these are all like Colin Goldie low whistles. Yep. So like a penny whistle, but so if the penny whistle's in D, then I have for the show, there's a tiny e and a tiny f which i'll show you in a minute and then below the d there's a c a b flat an a a g f sharp f e d low c low c sharp and low b flat and a which are the massive ones so you're talking plumbing material yeah i'll show you the big ones in a second this is a low f and i've put glow in the dark tape on them so that i can see which whistles which and i don't accidentally pick up a c sharp instead of a c okay i only have the bottom of one of the big A whistles. Oh, crap. <laughs> I, I don't know where the head is. It's somewhere. I packed so much stuff away, you know, that I'm not using. What These are they? Are, Cracky. They're tiny. This is a, an E and, oh, it's actually an F sharp. So it's an olive wood E and an F sharp Cocobolo. These are Chris Abel's little wooden fellas. So um, super high. Apologies if this sends your dogs going crazy. Oh, you got the headphones on. That's yeah, mouse is outside. And you'd think, like, why would you ever need a whistle that high? But it's surprising how many shows and things have just, like, random, oh, F whistle. And you can get, like, a cheap one, which is actually works totally fine, but these, but these look really pretty. So. <laughs> <laughs> and they're from a, uh, one of the world's best flute makers in wood. This is just a normal D whistle, just for comparison. So actually sounds quite low now, doesn't it? And uh, may as well give you the low D comparison.
you have to play that out the side of your mouth because it's so long? No, I I just I kind of developed that habit because I like to hearing stuff in this ear from yeah. playing the flute. Like most most people play them that way. But yeah, I, I started doing it and then I realized people kept asking me like, well, why are you, why are you playing it out the side? Is that a special technique to get something better? And I'm like, no, I, I just deaf in this ear. <laughs> It looks like the old Moyes, Marcel Moyes on the front of his, you know, when he's on the front of that uh, tutor and he's got a pipe and that's out the side of his mouth as well. (laughs) So you moved from beautiful Sussex down to London. We had maybe, I think we had a year because we moved in a February. Okay. And then, or maybe I have a terrible memory for dates. And like, I'm always saying to my wife, oh, you know, the other day this, and she'd be like, that was 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah because we, we moved back I started doing Come From Away did loads of shows of that it's just it's such a great feel-good show so much fun and it's because it's whistles and fiddle and Bowron and uh, the music's great the people are, are lovely the guy I was stepping for Matt Bashford uh, is an incredible piper and whistle player flute player so I got to sit behind him a few times before I went into to do the show and I think Irish pipers especially have really cool ornaments when they play the flute and the whistle I always think that's interesting how people who do one thing how it affects how they do something else and when it makes that thing really cool why can't other people why don't other people copy that and I think it's like you sort of can't unless you do the other thing does that make sense yeah like, absolutely because looking at the way you play your fingers a normal flute player would look at where your fingers are going and there's no correlation to a normal flute player <laughs> how your fingers are actually flapping around oh yeah well we'll, we'll talk about that when i demonstrate some of the techniques and stuff because in a way it is part of it is making your silver flute or gold flute or wooden flute your bone system flute um sound like a trad flute it's relearning the mechanics of playing the flute um, and it's not unlearning stuff you already do because all that stuff is still is still necessary and valuable. But it's just learning extra little movements mm-hmm. because a lot of the the movements are like a there's a tap. <laughs> <laughs> just taking a step back, how has the twelve months affected you? Well, we had we had a really good year before it all started with Come From Away. I did a couple of films, Emma the period drama I played on the soundtrack and was appeared in it wearing a wig, which I, I need to put some more pictures up on Instagram of that because they're really funny. Um, did that TV series Sanderton, played with the London Contemporary Orchestra. We did the Prince Symphonic Tribute at the Royal Albert Hall. I was playing alto for that. Then we did the Philip Glass Bowie Symphonies at the Royal Festival Hall, playing piccolo of all things, at three full-length symphonies with loads of piccolo in them. and. I just kind of thought, this is so good, back in London, right in the heart of all the sessions. I don't have to drive for hours to do gigs because I'm, I'm here already and doing the show and the films and stuff. And it's like, oh, this is brilliant. Everything's going great. And then just before everything kicked off and we had the lockdown, um, I was played for the Pirate Queen at the ENO. What's that big the big concert hall next to the place we had coffee? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, the Coliseum. Coliseum, yeah. Did that on pipes and whistles and stuff. And I was like, this is great. Moving to London was the best thing I ever did. And oh yeah, because I used to live in, I grew up in Brighton on the South Coast, went to uni in Limerick and Ireland and moved around a, a, a fair bit 
Sussex and always thought I wouldn't be able to afford to live in London. And then uh, when we moved, I was like, I, I still can't afford it, but I really want to be here. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. And when everything, everything hit, like, obviously we had no idea how long it was all going to go on for. We'd just been, we'd just been in uh, America visiting my wife's sister so quite good that we'd had a little bit of a sunshine injection before we had to stay in the house <laughs> for three months. But all of our work just disappeared. And what's tricky is for freelancers, people don't, people who don't do it often don't realise that income streams come from loads of different places for a lot of people. And a lot, you know, some people still had a bit of teaching which they could still do online. A lot of my friends who taught for schools. I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe they'll still have that income. It'll be fine. But a lot of the kids decided they didn't want to have the online lessons. So suddenly their work just completely disappeared. And a lot of us make up our income from a bit self-employed, a bit employed, all really boring stuff. But it meant that loads of my friends and and for me and my wife's a fiddle player, um, we didn't qualify for any of the help. And loads of people are in the uh, same similar position because they put in loads of caveats as to why oh if you earn above this much you don't get anything if you earn more than 50 percent in one particular way you don't get anything it's like yeah i didn't have two jobs because i enjoyed them both and i needed two jobs to pay the rent no i mean that is a classic case it's really it's a classic case of why cash flow is always an issue to self-employed musicians because you'll do a gig and you could be waiting a long time to get the money. Yeah, we found it tricky because I wasn't doing any teaching really before this started because all of my income was from the show, from playing live, and I'd done a few films, but they'd been paid at the time. And the other thing people don't really talk about is like, yeah, I, I earned quite a bit last year and that was great. I earned like enough that I could afford my rent. And, but like for the 20 years before that, it was a struggle. Mm. And like any musician who's achieved, like almost every musician who sort of got to somewhere where they're like, okay, I feel like I'm secure and I've built a career and I'm really proud of the stuff I'm doing. They've spent years struggling and earning almost nothing. And it's like, it's people just, they don't see the whole thing. They just see that kind of snapshot. People will go, oh, I saw you I saw you did a gig the other day great that you're working again I'm like one gig a year doesn't doesn't help much people always think that that other people have things better than they really do because you know we all put up a a facade on our Instagram our social media and it's not that we're hiding it's not that people are hiding what they're doing they're they're trying to make something which is inspiring they're trying to put something nice out into the world and I think people often forget what most musicians are trying to do is make something beautiful and make something nice for other people and and make sense of everything and not just trying to make a living like the making the living part is really secondary and you know I, I see as as much as many people as they like can tell me that I should be like really focusing on making my business work for me and all that kind of stuff but um, I'm never going to manage to. <laughs> that, that's that's never been you, has it, Philippe? You've always been. You've been music first, and your love of music, and you, the way you take your music, you haven't thought how much money I'm going to make on this. It's you've been led purely by the dedication to music. <laughs> I like that you can clearly see that. 
<laughs> you're like, yeah, that seems like a terrible idea. I don't know why. You're doing that. No, but surely there's a there's a yeah, right. there's, there's a genuine there's a genuine focus, a genuine goal there. Then is that yeah. you're there to make music? And in in a way, of course, it's like it's all very well me saying that, but I'm I've always been very lucky to be in the position that I've been able to do that. And you know, people people said, oh oh, you won't take all the stuff for granted after all this is over. I was like, I never took that stuff for granted. I always loved it. I always wanted to do it. And my mum always wanted me to get a, you know, a good sort of solid job that had regular hours. And, you know, I, I see the appeal for a parent to go, yeah. like, you know, I want you to be okay. I want you to have structure. I want you to, to have money you can rely on. And like, I love nothing more than getting home at four o'clock in the morning from one thing and, and go getting on a plane to go somewhere and, do something else and just kind of enjoy it as much as possible while we, we could do it um i mean i spent a couple of years playing with the david munley band is a great box player from county mayo uh playing around the states doing loads of kind of gigs i was playing guitar mostly and a bit of flute because the the flute player in the band is a really good friend of mine kira munley day's brother and it seemed like after after i went to do a master's in irish music on flute I picked up a load of guitar gigs because I was hanging out with the flute players. <laughs> so networking again yeah. is not one of my strong points. <laughs> now, unfortunately, you've also you also have you've had COVID and you've yeah. had COVID and it just didn't go away, does it? Well, uh, we, my wife and I both got it in March, just before St Patrick's Day. There were a load of sessions at the weekends, and I think it was probably there because some uh we knew some people who had seen someone who just got back from italy and um it seemed like it all kind of added up and a couple of days so we cancelled our st patrick's day work and stayed at home um and the next day we both felt terrible and we were lucky that it wasn't bad for too long like i had sort of the flu-like symptoms for about three days had the loss of taste for another week after that um ali had it worse than I did but um we after sort of two three weeks we were like felt totally recovered except for fatigue and brain fog but I mean I've always felt like I had a bit of brain fog so it's hard to know what that's come from and um I was in a way we were pleased to have had it and felt like we'd got it out the way and I thought that once we'd recovered from it that would be it and I wouldn't be worrying about it again and um obviously we were super careful and and stayed at home and did all this stuff but we went back to exercising maybe a month after having it just doing some like home workouts and stuff and that all seemed fine two weeks two months after that maybe i started trying running because i thought you know my mental health and try and keep the weight off because obviously i was not eating the best food when you're just stuck in the house and can't go anywhere we did maybe three weeks of running and at some point i realized i didn't really want to do do it anymore because the better you get at running the more running you have to do <laughs> yes <laughs> um and then suddenly i had like really bad chest pain and breathlessness and i thought it was my asthma coming back i had bad asthma as a kid and i've got the inhalers but i haven't used them for 20 years and part of the reason i took up the flute was to help with the asthma mm -hmm. and i had a collapsed lung when i was 18 and then an operation for that. So that was all fine. 
Um, I think they, the guy just said to me, look, don't go bungee jumping, but anything else, you should be fine. And I only really remembered that when I started having the long COVID trouble, because I was like, I kind of forgot he said that. And I feel like at some point I might have gone, yeah, I'll do some bungee jumping. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Gradually, the doctors thought that actually the running had flared up the long COVID. So, and it took ages to, to work something out. The long COVID clinics are all full to capacity. They, you know, they referred me to it, but there was, uh, there was no chance of getting into it. They basically said, look, the people going into that are in a much worse situation than you're in. So uh, I basically had five months of breathlessness and chest pain, heat pack on it every day, not able to exercise. I took a month off playing completely and I kept it all fairly under wraps. I didn't really tell people about it because in the past I'd realized that that posting about stuff on Facebook, although most people are really supportive, there's a small group of people who aren't very supportive. And um, that, you know, I, I put one post up about it just so that people were aware that it was something that could happen. Like if you do get COVID, there is the possibility of this. You know, I'm no expert and I've, I've read a few things about it and talked to lots of people about it. And the main thing from talking to the consultant and the doctors about it was that you need quite a long time of rest after it. Anyway, I, they think that I pushed myself too hard doing a bit of running. It, I mean, it was, it, if you'd seen me running, you would go, that is not you pushing yourself too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I can laugh about it all now. I think like, I've, okay, so since so recently the Royal Society of Musicians very generously paid for me to see a chest consultant to, to get it looked at because I was obviously really worried about whether it was going to be a long-term thing and was always going to affect my flute playing. And he seemed very sure that it wasn't and referred me to a respiratory physio. So I've been, it's been two weeks of me doing basically breathing exercises, which seems crazy as a flute player to be having to do breathing exercises. But they think that the long COVID gave me some kind of chest pain damage whatever which then caused me to shallow breathe and gave me disordered breathing where I'd breathe really shallow for a while and then take big gasping breaths and I still find myself doing that now and it's I mean I'm so much better now than back in the start of September and I couldn't get up the stairs to the flat I had to take breaks in sentences when I was talking and I still have to do that sometimes but the playing is getting a lot easier. I can only do a certain amount in a day. Like I'll two students a day is my max. Nuts. And it's hard because I like, I feel generally okay in myself. You know, as a consultant, you, you'll, you'll enjoy this. The, cult, the consultant also said, took one look at me, didn't weigh me, looked at me and said, you've got a fat neck. <laughs> <laughs> that classic, oh, yeah. like that yeah. classic British authoritative doctor who just felt like, <laughs> Felt like he could happily sort of yeah. just say, well, I think you've got a bit of a fat neck and you definitely need to lose a stone. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, they can, someone who has that accent can just get away with it, you know? Yeah, without being insulting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this is why I was happy to do a Zoom with you because in the last three weeks I have lost a stone. <laughs> you're looking good anyway. Uh, so you're... It's, it's uh, black. <laughs> I say on the mend, but you, you don't know with the with long COVID. You just you don't know. You're just living for the moment, aren't you? And yeah, and that's... yeah. So I'm I'm really hopeful, and it has been getting better. Um, 
and a friend of mine who was a incredibly fit cyclist did loads of that Krav Maga stuff mm-hmm. and he was bed bound for two months with it uh. and he's now he's now getting better and he's out walking again and stuff but it's crazy that I feel like I haven't seen much about that in the news or anyone saying look if you've had it take it easy for a bit and he was saying that like he was saying that he'd been told to take it easy for a year which seems crazy right but um I took it fairly easy for three months and then did a little bit of and when I say running I mean light jogging mm-hmm. like a three minute and then a five minute mm-hmm. that was as far as we got through the couch to 5k program which I feel was definitely written by someone who'd run before <laughs> <laughs> Pamwa, not me <laughs> I'm not I'm not a natural runner JP I'm not built for that <laughs> so we have a route map out to of lockdown of COVID, yes, fingers crossed, and a route back to live music. So back on, let's on up, let's go, let's go positive, shall we? Let's go yeah. positive. <laughs> the reason why people want you on Talking Flues Extra is because there is this fascination, and it is a fascination and appreciation for traditional music and Celtic music in in itself, because there's a beat. And it can be, you can get slow laments, but there is this beat which is impossible to be sort of, or feel unhappy with, or to to not want to tap your foot. But people, well, we, we've spoken about this before, me especially, it's where you start. So you can appreciate something, you can appreciate a style, but it's like a classical musician playing jazz. There is something stopping us from crossing over to feeling it. And it's all about feel, isn't it? So one of the questions that have come from the viewers is, viewers, listeners, is when, what are the first things to do when thinking about Celtic music and style? Okay. Um, I'd say the main thing is listening. And I think I would also apply that to kind of everything else, especially to classical music. My teacher was very adamant about me not listening to a piece before I played it, which in my, in the long run was actually really good for my sight reading because there's no shortcut to go, well, I already know how that goes. I don't need to work out that rhythm for myself. (laughs) And I still, I I really recommend that for people first, you know, playing, playing something from the music before listening, if it's classical stuff, I then recommend listening to it listening to a few different people playing the piece to really get a sense of how to transfer it from the page to real life. There's this feeling that in classical music, everything is written down and then I just play what's written down. And that is the case sort of, but it's still a framework, mm-hmm. right? And it's, there's a lot more information in that framework. We have the dynamics, we have the phrasing, we have the slurs. If you still, if you look at the piece of music and you listen to Emmanuel Pahoud playing it, you're like, he's, there's some more information that he has that isn't written down, yeah. right? So he's putting in his own stuff based on everything that he's heard. And Irish music has a much less clear framework. It's a much more kind of scarce scaffolding of a tune that you're going to do something with. And there's more freedom to change the melody as well. And that's a more advanced thing. But you're basically using everything that you've listened to, all the Irish music and plays you've listened to, and you're using that to build your own version 
on the bare bones on the scaffolding um, of the tune. So, um, like if we take it, I'll probably jump around all over the place telling you about this, but hopefully it'll, it'll make sense. So if we take a simple tune, We can change a lot of the stuff in that tune. We can use bits of other tunes in there. We can smooth stuff out, like where you've got a uh, where you've got three quavers. Um, we can replace that with a dotted crotchet. Um, where you've got a dotted crotchet, we can replace that with three quavers. So I'll show you that first bar. So that's with just with a roll on that F sharp. Like I'm just putting a bit of D major in there, but adding something into the tune. So instead of that, we just put. So we Often people like to stick something up the octave instead, so. And obviously as flute players, we've got to stick some breaths in somewhere, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> again, that's, you know, you're going to vary the tune in different places. Different each time round is a big thing. So, um, I, when I was at uni, Mahalo Sullivan, who's the, who was the head of the course, talked about nodes in the tune. So different points that if you took everything away, you could still tell what tune it was. Right. And so how someone can really vary a tune a huge amount, but you can still tell what the original thing was. A bit like a theme and variations in, in, a, in classical music. Like you can still tell, you can still hear the tune happening. Irish music has different nodes to a classical melody. I guess, but is it possible to over overplay it uh, to do too much? You know, in classical flute, it's quite easy to show off. Is it? Yeah, I mean that's kind of my mo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I very much like to over ornament things, but yeah, and you can you can go too far away from the tune that okay. it starts to sound not like the tune, or if you stray too far in terms of the harmony, like if you start pushing it. Um, into more jazzy harmony, it starts to sound less like the real thing. And I mean, you're always making choices about how traditional you want it to sound and how modern you want it to sound. And I mean, I'm generally wanting to sound slightly more modern. So some of the variations I just did in that tune would be more modern than a real trad flute player would want to do. And sometimes I just get carried away, you know. So, but equally, I might play something more exciting to you now than I would play if I was recording it or yeah. doing a gig in a, in, a, in a different place. So you walk into a pub, as you do yeah. quite a lot, you walk in late and there's instrumentalists sat around and you sit down and you start playing, right? Now, you start sort of going off on one 
do they how do they communicate with you if they're not liking how you're going off on it <laughs> i mean you you can you can usually tell but i would always if i'm playing with other people i could always try and keep what i was playing to not clash with what someone else is doing and i'm always always mindful of the other people in the session like there's some there, actually there's loads of wooden flute players in london which is brilliant there's loads of really nice sessions Emma McEwen there oh, yeah. player she she runs a couple of great sessions and like there are some people who come to the sessions who like who I know like really really trad stuff and there are some I know like really modern stuff and I'm sort of somewhere in the middle but I actually often play guitar for the sessions as well and I'll change the style I'm playing depending on who I'm playing for because um, some people like a really traditional backing with simple harmony and some people like the really outlandish jazzy stuff which is more my thing so it's being very mindful of the musicians you're playing with isn't it yeah i think so yeah i just did it one of the things i i forced myself to do was a guitar book this year with modern with guitar chord progressions for dadgad guitar to like back trad tunes are you looking grumpy there i can't see the picture properly yeah i'm looking grumpy and most of my promo shots actually is something that i'd never really thought about until i did some posters yeah i love, I love those all of them look like i'm just saying go practice <laughs> like this guy's this guy's definitely chastising you for not doing enough practice right that's if anyone knows you know that you smile a lot <laughs> yeah actually i got it Okay, here's another here's another dour-faced gentleman. Yeah, there's a there's a mini smile on that. He's on the tune book. This guy, this guy's definitely telling you you didn't do your scales, didn't do your taffanel. Yeah, it looks like you've been nominated for a Golden Globe or a, <laughs> an Oscar. Yeah, these are the, the flute and piano pieces. You get a real stare down if you get those. So give me one ornament that someone can put in. Okay, well, I'll give you like a brief overview of some mm. of the stuff. So they're all in this book you mentioned. And that is a brilliant book. It starts off, so each chapter introduces a new ornament. So we'll start off with the first one, which is feathering. But before I tell you about the ornaments, one of the main things is the the sound and the tone. So before we even start doing things with our fingers, we need to correct a few things that we're used to doing because we're trying to make our silver flute sound like a, a wooden flute. So it's a big, fat, rich, woody sound. And the ornamentation is all done with the fingers, pretty much. There are things we'll do with tonguing. There are things, well, there are other things, but like most of it is finger work only. And that's partly because a lot of the techniques come from other instruments in trad. So it's like, you can't do vibrato on the Irish pipes or the bagpipes because you, you your mouth isn't connected to it. You've just got a constant stream of air which you're altering with your fingers. So we try and make the air stream to be a solid constant sound. So we're losing the vibrato, which can be a really tricky thing to do if you've been just playing with vibrato for you know 20, 30 years. It could be hard to switch that off. And I'm not saying never ever vibrato. Like with all of this thing, it's always a taste choice and it's down to personal taste but if i'm going to copy the sounds that i've heard the sounds that i want to emulate of the irish flute players that i like their sound doesn't have any vibrato in it so (laughs) 
that big rich purple sound while blowing down in the, into the embouchure hole to get more harmonics. We want to like, if you're going to introduce vibrato, maybe on a slow air, maybe. I personally hate it. Although I noticed yesterday that I do use it a tiny bit on some of my flute and piano pieces, which are like pseudo Celtic. So who knows, but you know, there's nothing like contradicting yourself is there. <laughs> We're going to add the vibrato back in with our fingers. So this is like a timbral trill. So we're going to use F sharp as one of the best notes where it sounds the best. With your F sharp fingering, it's for anyone who's not got the video, you're using your middle finger, you're playing an F sharp, you're using your middle finger to trill what I would call the E key. You also don't have to push that key quite all the way down. It's the other thing with a lot of these ornaments your fingers are used to doing a certain movement. They're used to pushing a key from open to closed and there's no middle ground. But a lot of these techniques, we're just tapping the top of the key. Key doesn't need to close. With the feathering, you're just looking to change the timbre of the note, change the way the note sounds to get that effect. So the clean F sharp, now feathered. Like it's a real fast trilling effect. Sounds really good on like a C natural if you just use the A finger. So the second finger on your um, left hand. So the normal C. We're already making it a rich, full sound because that will help with the feathering as well. So I'll show you something with both of those in. I suddenly realized that I was, I had my flute so that the keys were right next to the, <laughs> right next to the mic. I'm like, this is probably, this is probably just sounding like clack, clack, clack. <laughs> yeah, no, the sound's coming in and out. That's, that's fine. It sounds really quarter tony, doesn't it? Or even eighth of a tone. But that's, you're exactly right. It, you're giving it like a vibrato, but a sort of a, a softer vibrato than the wow, wow, wow that flute players have. Yeah, so we're, we're, just changing that because I'll show you the, the same thing on the wooden flutes. You can hear it on an F sharp. So the clean F sharp is just. And then with the feathering. Oh, there's something um, gorgeous about hearing the same thing on a wood. Yeah. You know, I called the book Irish Music on the Silver Flute, and um, I've been playing this one a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is, which is, not silver and it has this these really lovely little engravings on it he's playing but, gold um, he's posh he's posh what's it's taken me a while to come to terms with playing some gold because <laughs> <laughs> for years i was like never never only silver no gold for me sir but with silver i really like the kind of flexibility mm. and kind of big range of palette and with gold there's something about that kind of rich dense harmonics and like a sound which never goes wrong like it's just always on and it always sounds good and I've been enjoying using the two flutes for for different things as well so this one has a c-sharp trill which is really handy so you turn up at a gig and you get a gold yeah. thing out I mean that I think they go down too well is it <laughs> well it, okay it depends where if I go to a session I'm mostly just taking the wooden flute yeah and that's not because I don't want to play the silver flute it's because I need to do more work on my wooden flute playing and yeah, I probably wouldn't take the gold flute into a 
a pub session because <laughs> I get, the thing is you get enough abuse from people <laughs> kind-hearted people just having a laugh I mean like the good-natured crack um of people going ah, oh, I bought the old typewriter in today did we <laughs> So I love feathering. I mean, that is, as you say, it's it's almost like a quarter 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 tone, isn't it? You're just getting it, and you're very very gentle on the keys, but very quick. Yeah, and it, obviously it it works better on some notes than others, mm -hmm. and we don't need to stress about being able to do it on every chromatic note because part of the point of all of this is doing different stuff on different notes. Um, I'll just show you the holes on this wooden flute. They're all different sizes. Yeah, they are. Right, And that's one of the reasons why um, Bowen made his system and why we ended up with the metal flutes with the keys on is your classical flute is designed to be the same everywhere. And we practiced those tone exercises for years, trying to make every note sound the same across every register, which is cool. But on the Irish flute, one of the things that makes it sound great and the whistle is that the notes don't sound the same and each note having a different character brings something lovely to the music so we copy that a little bit with the metal flute so c natural c sharp they're kind of weaker notes the c natural is a bit more reedy on the silver flute and we we try and iron that out but actually that's one of the really nice things and we change our fingerings to make them not the right fingerings because it makes the note dirtier it makes it more makes it different to the other notes and it gives it character so i quite often use the middle finger for f sharp mm -hmm. it sounds terrible but it sounds great in trad like the real f sharp is the middle finger like it's got more air in it i want the sound to be a bit dirtier middle d i'll keep the top finger down so Let's overblow the bottom C. So instead of, we're going. So I'm just playing a low C and overblowing it. Like, and I'm also, um, I talk a lot with my students about defocusing the sound. I was going to say your your chops seem to be quite open and really relaxed. Yeah, so we have this perfect, beautiful sound. And if we open the aperture a bit so that some of the air is like around the sides of the sound, and I'm aware that probably a lot of the things that I might say to explain stuff might not actually be what I'm doing, but it seems to work. <laughs> <laughs> and like if I'm playing a low D, I like to have a, a real flat embouchure and a wider aperture like a bigger hole in the middle for the for the sound and I'm blowing more air around the bit that makes the sound pretty when I'm decrescendoing I'm looking to move into the area where it gets breathy and you're just blowing over the top of the flute without making a sound because that sounds great like <laughs> well that airy stuff which People are doing a lot more since Ian Clark and Robert Dick and all those kind of pieces. But often it's like, it's a specific effect for that sound. But usually when I'm trying to do it, I'm not putting in an effect where the flute sounds like wind. I'm just, that's part of the flute sound. It's part of the beauty because you've taken the, because you can, you can play with the classical sounds, I've heard you. 
but you've almost strip away this this need for this sort of roundness, this gorgeousness that you get with classical flute playing. You strip it right back, and there's an innocence there. There's an innocence of sound. And what's great is we still want that beautiful sound. Yeah, because it's the it's the difference between that and the breathy, dirty, rich sound which makes it exciting. Just like playing with loads of dynamics. Just like, you know, it's the reason why Nigel Kennedy was so successful with his violin playing, because he had that rough rawness, but you, you have the, the yin and yang of the two things, the, the, the tension and release of the two things. And if something's just beautiful all the time, that's great, but you want more than one gear. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the hard yeah. thing about it, isn't it? It's not just moving your fingers like you do, half closing, half depressing, doing these lots of tricks, sort of notational tricks, it is finding that point where the innocence becomes rich, becomes complex, and it's actually playing more around with the sounds than you would necessarily on playing a classical piece. Yeah, I was just thinking actually, um, I mean, I'll show you some more techniques as well, but it might be nice just to hear the same thing on a few different flutes sure. to hear the difference there. Okay, luckily I have... He's come prepared. A few, a few toys in the cupboard. Okay, so I feel like it's always a shame comparing anything to the wooden flute because it, obviously it's its own incredible yeah. thing. Maybe we'll put that last. So let's start with silver. So... I shouldn't get carried away and play too much but okay so that's the silver let's try the gold i feel like i want to say stuff about them but i also don't want to say stuff mm -hmm. about them because i want to make it people to make up their own minds but maybe i'll say something afterwards so this is a wood bone system obviously with the limitations of me playing through my mic into the zoom and yep <laughs> Everything else, and now we have the full wood. And um, just for fun. That was a shock, that last one, the alto. <laughs> the old big beast, yeah. That was gorgeous, actually. I think it's quite obvious when you... Each one produces a different timbre. It just produces a different depth or resonance or yeah. um, just feel. I mean, it starts with the silver, which is nice and bright, and you end up sort of going down into something. You have so much to play with, don't you, tonally, when you're playing your music? 
I think people as well, like it's easy to get bogged down in, in what material you're playing. And for me, especially like under stage lights could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. I've just picked up this fella. Cause oh, well. here we go. That's the death um, whistle. <laughs> the I normally think piccolo should only be played in the low register. <laughs> it's quite beautiful in the low register, isn't it? Yeah, I think the old... Um... Do you know, it was really nice, that. I don't normally say that about piccolo <laughs> playing, but that was beautiful. So it's about the wood, it's about the metals. You say yeah. it's easy to get hung up on what you're playing. Ultimately, if you're on stage, it's really what's coming out and you have to be comfortable with the material you're playing. Yeah, you want something that's going to respond in the way that you want it to work and not worry about, you know, what the look of the thing is. For me, with the stuff that I play most of the time, I generally like silver, uh, but I really like gold for like certain stuff where I want that big solid rich dark tone all the time and it's, it's really nice having kind of having the option <laughs> yeah I'm not like I'm not doing loads of stuff in the third octave I'm not doing loads of crazy fast repeated double tonguing although I do a lot of tonguing stuff in the trap mm. but more like um So it's like little individual bits of tonguing. So instead of a roll somewhere, so it's like a tia takata or dia dagada, you know. It's a really nice like B, C sharp, D. It's a really common little motif on wooden flute and whistle and stuff. And actually the, the three notes together, it doesn't really need tonguing, but you know, if you can do it in there, why wouldn't you? put it in there's a bit in one of my pieces um that's one of the other ornaments um we can do cuts and taps and rolls is a big one like the roll is a is a real kind of stalwart of the ornamentation so the idea with that is you're playing a note and you interrupt that note with a grace note above and a grace note below and it's we call it a cut above and a cut below or for flute and whistle you'd often call it a tap below because it that explains the action so i'll show you slow motion so i'm lifting the g finger using the g finger and the f finger for this i'm playing a g and then cutting with the g finger and then tapping with the f and when i'm tapping with the f I'm just tapping the top of the key so you get that little flick. We're not pushing the key down and it's hard to make your fingers do that. But especially a flat finger will help and you can go back to curved fingers afterwards to play other stuff. So if you see any pictures or videos of me playing, you'll notice my right hand is quite flat because I find the ornaments easier to do like that. Um, if I'm playing in an orchestra, um, I'll quite happily retract the fingers to their proper place so that, you know, or if I'm teaching classical flute I'll go back to a classic hold because you don't want to instill 
bad habits until you know 10 years later right <laughs> um so that g roll you can use any note higher and any note lower the further away from the note you go the more bubbly it sounds so some you know some some notes won't work obviously but a g roll is a great one for the tap below the f makes the most sense f natural even though you're probably using a g roll in d major or g major you're playing f sharps but your f natural tap is so quick you don't hear it's an f natural we're just like getting that little click and then the cut above that's a g if we use an a it's more chirpy if we use the thumb key for a c even chirpier. I quite like to use the G sharp key. Sounds a bit darker. So if you use like the G sharp and the F, it sounds a bit more shonky. <laughs> but like in a tune, I'm barking out those low Ds, little um, extra kick from the diaphragm. Apologies to anyone who doesn't like calling it a kick from the diaphragm anymore. You know, a little push from the engine, should we say. <laughs> and then we can add some extra stuff in on top of that, make those rolls more exciting. But one of the other things, when you get to the bottom of the flute, and the bottom of the flute is D for our intents and purposes here, because on a wooden flute, the lowest note is normally a D, and on a whistle, the those notes are D and Irish pipes and stuff. You can't do a tap below because there's no notes below it. Obviously, we can with this with the metal flute, but it's nicer to put both cuts above, and then you get something called a cran. And you can do different lengths of cran, so different people do it different ways. I should say that as well. So, like a full piping cran would maybe be G F E G. So you're playing a, your fingers are all down playing a D and then you lift up, just let the tiniest bit of light out that key, G, F, E, G, you get. So slowed down. It's like a little Mexican wave for the fingers where each time you push one down, it lifts the other one up. Now that's more than you're gonna need mostly you can do the crown with just two fingers on your right hand the f and the e so well, let's go you can either go top bottom or bottom top doesn't matter this is bottom top we switch around um i'm not very good at doing it that way around um you can also do bottom top bottom if you want to make it even more exciting and it's even more kind of bubbly do the same thing on the next d up now if we do three fingers, so I like to do E, F, G. And hear it in a tune. And then there's loads more stuff like bounces and use the trill keys a lot for ornaments. Just flicking the two trill keys, bottom one, then top. So if you can make that the top of a roll, so you get... 
I'm making detailed sort of videos for my new Patreon. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about this. Tell me about the new Patreon. This is really exciting because you've been badgered for years. <laughs> you've been badgered for years to do teaching videos and to actually show people what to do yeah. and to break it down. But because you're, you're always, you've always been so, well, not always been, but you're busy. And you're yeah. not only busy performing, but you compose, you, 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 you're involved in engineering, um, studio work. And it's hard to actually get you to focus on something that is for the benefit of people who want to learn because you're just busy. So yeah. tell me about Patreon because that really is, is exciting. I feel like the out of a very sort of dark time at the beginning of all of this, I forced myself to do all of the projects I've been putting off for 20 years. Like the only reason I wrote the Irish music on the silver flute book is because I went to teach at the um, uh, flute convention in Sweden. And I thought it would make it easier for me to do the workshop if I had a book to refer to. And then it kind of spiraled out of control from there. Since the lockdown, I did the guitar book. I did the book of my own tunes, a few more of the flute and piano pieces, and they all have backing tracks now, piano tracks, so you can play along if you can't get, you know, to a, an accompanist, um, which isn't just, you know, a lockdown thing. It's a generally hard to find a piano accompanist, especially for a really niche mm -hmm. uh, Celtic flute and piano piece. I also did a tune book of session tunes, um, 101 session tunes like Jigs and Reels, and this actually has a picture of us at a session in London, one of our favourite pubs, which sadly closed because of all of this stuff, because a lot of them are struggling to, to stay open. But yeah, I finally got around to sorting out this Patreon. I've been doing a lot of teaching online um, and like the eFlutes workshop, doing the NFA thing online. And I think people have been hassling me for years about videos for the Irish flute stuff because it's... It is much easier to see it on yeah. a video than it is, you know, reading a book. And I still think like having a paper book, that might just be a sign of my age, but I'd much prefer that to, to looking at something on a screen. But to have like the videos with the the PDFs or whatever is is uh, um, is handy. But this is so the Patreon will be um, every two weeks. There'll be a new video with different stuff so different techniques and then um, a new a tune to learn and the tunes will be taught by ear but there'll also be a pdf of the tune so you can you can refer to that look at it afterwards or you can look at it first if you prefer but one of the main things about learning traditional music is learning by ear and it can be really scary at first just like the learning to play jazz starting to improvise can be you know like where do i start this is terrifying but once you get started with learning by ear it gets quicker quickly, you know, and it's the, the Patreon, there'll be videos, you can watch them over and over again, you can slow them down on YouTube, but I'll be teaching it phrase by phrase slowly anyway. And the advantage of doing that is you're learning the techniques as you're learning the tune. So they'll be in the tune forever. I like part of the point of the, the book and it's that you learn how to do the techniques and then you can apply them to any tune. Like the book has examples of a particular tune which it works well in, but then you go and add it into whatever. Like once you know how to feather an F sharp, you can do that anytime you have a long F sharp in a tune. Once you learn how to roll a G, you can do that on any G in any tune you're playing, you know? And, you know, another reason of doing the Patreon is like you can't, one of the options, one of the tiers is to have private lessons 
like a once a month hour lesson with me but I kind of especially once I'm back playing again I will need to be doing less face-to-face -face teaching but I want to be able to reach more people um, and I've been planning to do the, the videos for ages but especially at the moment while my lungs are still um, recovering a bit I'm like I have a limit to how much like two a day is 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 max for me at, at the moment but so what's like, the what's the patreon details philippe um, so it's just patreon.com slash philippe barnes and all the detail all the stuff's on there the other thing i should say is as i'm a massive merch fan as as yeah uh, i've still got my flutistry water bottle i take everywhere and the patreon has this thing where you can have your own merch so um, for the two main tiers every three months you're subscribed you get something so uh, there's that what it's a mug and a that thing behind you t-shirt and a tote bag this is one of them is this yeah. gratuitous picture of a rudal rose flute on some i can't remember so maybe on a t-shirt it looks really cool in the t-shirt the, the mug ha does have a picture of my face on it which is slightly megalomaniacal <laughs> is that a word are you grumpy or are you smiling uh grumpy but I've sort of photoshopped so that I'm made out of like a forest. So, you know, it's like, it's inspirational <laughs> and also motivational because it's like, yeah, have you practiced today? <laughs> How's that coffee going? Maybe it should motivate you to do some practice. <laughs> well, I think the Patreon thing is, is wonderful and it gives everybody a, you know, a cost-effective way in because I, yeah, I like the physical music, but there's nothing better than watching you and your fingers do it because you know we are you know we're auditory yeah. people but we're also very visual and just seeing what you're doing actually makes it slightly easier to comprehend yeah kind of it does it makes it makes more sense and it's it's quite nice for me to have somewhere to to put other stuff up like uh, the first thing i've put in there because i only made it live yesterday is the track that you heard at the beginning that um walking tree video yeah that's in there as a wave file download of the audio plus there's a pdf of the tunes you can play along with it and i'm hoping to put a lot more of that kind of stuff in there so transcriptions of my recordings and stuff especially like where the ep i did with tom Phelan, i've been transcribing all those pieces so because some of them we won't make into flute and piano pieces but I've got like a full transcription of each time around the tune, what I'm doing differently, like, and the transcriptions of the solos as well. Cause I think when I was growing up and learning to play, it was really hard to find a lot of that stuff written down and less so now because low, you know, people put loads of transcriptions on the internet, but especially for something that's more niche, it can be really hard to find that stuff. And like, the up piece for flute and piano has a flute solo in the middle just like the all-knowing salmon one has a flute solo and they're written out because i bought so much music as a teenager which had like it said flute solo and it had some chords and i'm like what am i supposed to do with that like i mean I, and i was lucky because i was already doing a lot of improvising for different people i'd play with um atab haddad who's a mm. iraqi oud player and that's like real fusion kind of Arabic flamenco jazz fusion stuff. And um, I've played at the London Jazz Festival loads with, with different people. Like, I, I'm really glad that whilst I was studying, I went off into several different branches at the same time because um, it take, can take a long time to get into 
playing jazz and improvising and like I, I mean and I'm by no means like uh, you know not like Jose Jose Valentino's stuff like every time I'd see him improvising on something I'm just like I'm out but <laughs> <laughs> he can't do Irish music he'll tell you he I, can but he can't I said to him at the the NFA I said you know it's like no one ever told you it was difficult <laughs> yes like, <laughs> so he, every time he sees me he's like ah sticky note <laughs> so i like it is like he plays literally like no one ever said oh this is really hard you'll find this difficult to work how, how to do it because it's just like it just goes and it's just like everything just just works it's like he makes it look too easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's people amongst us that do that isn't there so you can I, you'll be able to get the the um, patreon link if you're listening to this on the usual podcast channels if you if you scroll down the description the patreon link will be at the bottom and the irish music on the silver flute book it is wonderful. It is a probably a modern day classic now because it was your first, but also it simplifies everything that you've been talking about. So where do people find that? That one, you can go to any of the London flute shops or you can go to philippebarnes.com to get it. I think Flute World in America also has it. All of my stuff is available as PDFs as well as real uh, paper copies just because... I realized that um, I was sending most of my stuff to like America and China and Korea and Europe and stuff. And I'm like, this is, you know, this, it costs a lot yeah. for people in the postage and it takes a long time. You know, it takes about a week to America. I guess it's, you know, it's not too bad. It doesn't take, it takes maybe a week to Europe at the moment. Um, don't mention Brexit. And uh, no, we, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, banned, that's, banned, that's banned on the podcasts. Yeah. And like you, UK, it, stuff usually arrives next day so if but, you've yeah. if you've got any interest and if you're if you're still listening to this podcast and i hope you are cause it's an extra long one because we have to because <laughs> it's, it's hard to ca- catch hold of philippe you need to have the irish music on the silver flute book as your foundation but also that it's the patreon thing that um, excites me just because it makes everything accessible and uh, you know i congratulate you on all that it's sad that it's taken 12 months and a lot of crepato in society and virus yeah. and certainly with your health to yeah. put you in a position you are now but i'm just hoping that as the world opens up again that it does again for you and that you're you know i've looked forward to obviously meeting up with you because we're both coffee lovers and uh, chewing the cud and we can do that because we both live in london well i live outside of london <laughs> but it's beside the point but more importantly that we can see you smiling and actually enjoying yourself with a close-knit group and not having everyone sort of nine yeah. or ten feet away from each other because that, <laughs> that just doesn't work in trad music you've got to be close and thank you for joining me and wishing you and your good lady a good few weeks until we unlocked we're going to play out to one of your wonderful pieces called up it can explain about up so this uh, piece was originally written for a Celtic electronica band that played festivals and we had a big virtual caller on the screen for people to do a Kaylee 2 um, crazy idea, but the piece survived um, to become a flute and piano version and it has a cool sort of jazzy flute solo in the middle, mm. which is, again, it's all written out in the piece because, you know, I don't believe that you should have to do too much work for it. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon, everybody. Patreon, Philippe Barnes. 
Thank you to Philippe. And thank you to you again for listening this week. Wishing you a wonderful musical week ahead. And may your three octave chromatic scales be especially smooth. <laughs> Goodbye, all. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.